So today's a big day for us as a church. It's Commitment Sunday. We've been talking about this in our capital campaign for a while now. We have this opportunity to step forward into this future that I've been saying God has prepared us for and God has prepared for us. And so I thought a neat way to do that would be to invite one of you, someone that sits in the chairs on Sunday morning, to come up and talk about what this means to them and, and why this is important. So I got to meet Dr. John Melema when we went to the Holy Land with he and his family last year. And, uh, you know, it was really fun because we got to know all the family together. And then I got some time with John. And you really quickly start to hear his heart and uh, hear his his deep faith. And so I just said, would you please come and talk about uh, what church means, what commitment and, and uh, what being able to give back to God means to you. So, Dr. John Melema, would you please come up here? And he's not at all nervous. So don't worry about that part. That's going to cooperate for you, right? It is going to cooperate this time. So thank you. I, I invited you to do this. I think it was two weeks of not giving me an answer before you finally said <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you told me I had to go to two services. And then I said two services, and right? And then you said it was Commitment Sunday. Exactly. So After I said now yes. that you've got all that yeah. figured out. Yeah. Thank you. So John's much. going to share with you for a little bit, then I'm going to come back <laughs> up, and we're going to talk more about what this day really means to all of us. So John, thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, like Steve said, it did take me a little while to to uh, acquiesce, to give in to his, uh, his request. But uh, I initially kind of questioned his judgment as a leader when he asked me to, to talk. So, you know, we'll wait till after, and then maybe you'll question his judgment too. Maybe not. But, uh, um, you know, it was actually a good thing to be forced to, to think about why do I give. And, you know, for many years growing up, um, I grew up in the church, and my parents were... Uh, members of the E-Free, and they still are. And my dad was always very uh, encouraging as far as giving and, and just try to establish us giving of 10%, like the, the tithe in the Old Testament talks about. And so he would give us their allowance, and if it was a dollar, which uh, he gave us, he'd give us 90 cents in change and another dime so that we could take our dime and put it in the offering, you know. And as, uh, as I grew and as I started making a little bit of money and having some odd jobs here and there, uh, encouraged me to continue to do the same thing, and so it became a habit, and, and it was it was a good it's a good habit to be in, but uh, it was kind of more just going through the motions, so to speak. I don't know that I put a lot of thought into it. It was just kind of a rule to follow, and uh, I didn't think I was earning my salvation, but uh, you know I knew the verses Ephesians two eight and nine. You know, for by grace you are saved through faith, is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I knew that, but I think deep down we oftentimes really like to cling to some of the rules and not the other rules because we, we feel like we can fulfill them and then we have some sort of way that we're actually earning some salvation on our own. And head knowledge is not always equal uh, heart knowledge. Ironically, the law does point out our insufficiency in so many other places, but we're very prone to ignoring those laws. But uh, I followed those same patterns through high school and into college and uh, never was really a cheerful giver, so to speak, but I tried to kind of main, keep to the rules uh, after college, Shayla and I got married, and at that time I was going to school, and she was working two different jobs to put food on the table and keep us in a, an apartment in the Twin Cities. And so giving came on, or started actually meaning a little bit of sacrifice. We weren't able to maintain the percentage that we wanted to even, uh, and even with the percentage that we were giving, uh, we did have to f- cut things out. We were certain things we couldn't do, going to some entertainment or uh, going out to eat. 
There were times after we moved on to residency where we'd go to, I remember going to Sam's Club more than one occasion on a, on a Saturday afternoon to uh, pick off all the samples for our lunch and then uh, kind of look at all the stuff we wish we could buy. And then at the afterwards, we'd get a piece of pizza and split it between the, the kids and, and ourselves. So uh, after getting done with residency and then moving into my first job, my first real job at age 31, that's pretty impressive, I know, um, we decided that we were going to make giving a uh, priority. It was going to be the first, symbolically kind of the first check coming out that we wanted that tithing to come back in so that we had that baseline. And then when other needs arose, giving more, hopefully, if, if, uh, if the opportunity presented itself. But now, coming here, we're faced with a new capital campaign. And Steve asking us, you know, what, why are you giving? What, what's driving you? And I thought, what is driving me? What, where should I be thinking? And why, you know, is it still this kind of rote, almost a guilt I need to give because that's what God expects. Talking about money often turns us off, and when we hear it in church specifically, we have that American ideal that it's our money. We made it. We earned it. We deserve it. We should be able to decide what we want to do with it. And I think a lot of us, it tends to be kind of the leftovers may go to God. We uh, don't want to talk about it, but yet Jesus talked about it so much in the New Testament. Why did, he, why did he talk about it? We don't think we need to give because God's not planned this out well enough that he created a world and ran out of money and now he's looking to us to try and build a church for him. He says in Psalm 50 that I have no, bo- I have no need for a bull from your stalls or of a goat from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all that's in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you and you will honor me. So I think it's pretty strongly evident that God is not in need of anything from us. I think sometimes I look and I feel like part of our giving is motivated by return on investment. And you wouldn't say that out loud, but you think about it subconsciously almost, that it's a subtle thought that somehow we are giving to God so that he owes us or he needs to bless us in response. And you start to sway into this prosperity gospel, which is very popular, and you can find it on every Sunday morning on uh, quite a few televangelists. But they like to look at Malachi, and they like to selectively quote the part where he says, Bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. You start thinking about, well, is this, you know, I put in $200 and I get a Tesla, or what is, what is the, uh, you know, what's God going to give me? This is going to be awesome. And it sounds goofy, but you 2000, look back to like just 2018, and a uh, televangelist in Louisiana was making news because he preached that God wanted his congregation to raise money for him to get a new jet. He already had three planes, actually, and this jet was a $54 million uh, business jet that he thought it would you know, serve God's purpose for him to get around the country better. And that's easy for us to look at that crazy number and think that's heretical and wouldn't sneak in here or be something I would have to deal with. But that kind of expectation does sometimes subtly underpin my giving. If I follow the rules, if I, I can buy God's favor, at least his forgiveness, and, it, and he owes, my, owes me blessings. You look back in the Middle Ages and you think that's ridiculous. Back then they were selling indulgences and many of you have probably heard about that. And the priests 
would raise money for the church by selling you forgiveness in advance. So you come and tell him what, what kind of sins you want to commit, and he'd give you a payment plan. Church got a lot of money. People got to do what they wanted to do sinfully. And it damaged the church's reputation for generations and for hundreds of years, and it's still talked about today. It's still inside our mindset. And it's as crazy as Pastor Steve being up here and saying this week we're running a special on forgiveness ahead of time. If you buy two covets, you get a third neighbor to cover it free. You think that sounds completely goofy, but that's oftentimes what we do. We expect that somehow we are entitled to something because of that. But how much more tangible are the good things? We've been talking about in the last couple of weeks, the programs and staff at the Open Door, the expanding benefits of having more youth programming, having these kids that want to go to the Trout Lake Camp, having uh, more facilities on a campus, being able to have the women's ministry, the men's ministry, the kids' ministries all in one, one area, which is a great thing. But it, it can appeal to our sense of prestige, this idea that we get a fancy campus and building and then, hey, we're kind of a big deal, we've really arrived as a church. We could put our money into making a better show on Sunday morning as far as a smoke machine. I thought we could raise, the, raise the, the drums up like newsboys and tip them forward and tip them back down, you know, and get people really going. But in reality, some of these things can be good with the right motivation, but they can be just as self-centered as reasons as any of the others that I said before. We tend to be consumer Christians and we want to shop for what good can God bring me. If I come to this church, what's it going to offer me? How am I entertained? How does the pastor preach? Does he say the things I want him to say? Does he make me feel guilty? So if none of those things are really underpinning why we should give, then why should I choose to give? I told the first service that a lot of this stuff, you know, I started thinking I was coming up with some of my own ideas, and then I started reading other uh, pastors uh, and listening to their sermons online. So I kind of quickly found out that their ideas were a lot easier to understand and better than mine. So I have used some liberal plagiarism, and then I've patched it together with some of my own words. So if you hear something familiar, um, you know you may know the pastor or where it came from. So when we look at that, uh, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this church, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, and ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. And then I'll close it out with that. But no, God has commanded that I love him and I serve him and no other. The world has many gods that can promise me satisfaction, but none of them actually bring me fulfillment. These false gods appeal to many of our senses and we feel entitled and we have desire for feeding ourselves. We constantly get fed this through media, through billboards, through streaming. If I owned a car like that, if I had a house like that, if I had that iPod, if I had that iPad, if I had whatever, then I'd be happy. If only I had that life. They've done surveys through the years, I think it's every two years, that they're surveying what people are making in the United States as far as money and then how they rank themselves in satisfaction. And consistently, even adjusting for inflation, all classes of people in the United States have been making more money now than they ever have. Maybe not with the pandemic right now, but uh, up, up to 2020. But yet, our satisfaction, our happiness, our self-ranked happiness has progressively decreased. If I work to build my kingdom to please me, eventually it's going to fail. It's not going to bring me fulfillment. Not only that, but when I finally realize I've reached the peak of whatever kingdom I can build, then I spend the rest of my remaining time trying to protect what I have, things that I can't even keep. Tim Keller said, If you build your confidence on the work of Christ, 
I'm sorry, if you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. God knows our heart. He knows my heart. Often we don't, though. Nobody seems to think that any of these things are actually their problem. But we can see it easily in each other. We can see it in others' lives. We look at the story where Jesus is talking with the young ruler that approached him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, Jesus didn't say this because he was going to earn his salvation through poverty, through self-denial. He said this because, if you notice, the first commandment that he left out is the one that he later, in other parts of the New Testament, says is the most important. Honor the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Jesus discerned that this man's God was money. He needed to deny his false God and to honor the true God. So giving is not about what I can do for God, but rather about what God wants to do in me. In 1 Samuel, when Samuel was talking to Saul, who had offered a sacrifice that was not pleasing to God, he said, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So I give because I need to be reminded constantly of my dependence on God and my need for a Savior. I must daily take up my cross to acknowledge that I'm a sinner saved by grace. So for me, giving is actually a mercy, and paradoxically, it's how I can receive grace in one way from God. It softens my heart to fellow believers and the world around me, and it gives me freedom from the rat race, from the objectives of the world that so many of us chase no longer are relevant in my life because they're not a measure of success. Often our tendencies, unfortunately, mine included, have been trying to find the lowest amount of money I can give to God and still be pleasing to him or honoring him. I found a quote from C.S. Lewis when they asked him about, is there a rule that Christians should follow for generosity and giving? And C.S. Lewis said, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our giving expenditures exclude them. Jesus says in Matthew 6:19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That last sentence, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You look at your own finance. I look at my finance. The checkbook and where my money goes unveils my idols. It's never an effort to spend money on things that are treasure to me. What we consider treasure often becomes a symbol of value in our life. Does my value really rest in what Jesus thinks of me or what the world thinks? It's a constant fight. Do I fear God or do I fear man? So then where do I find my value, in myself or in God? If God and his relationship with me are my most valuable assets, then there is never any risk. Money and things can come and go and not affect whether God loves me. I do not have to be afraid, and then my possessions are not my goal, and they're not the measure of my worth. I need to then relocate where the source of my value should come from. And this can only be done through prayer, repentance, and worship. And part of worship is giving. 
When Jesus and what he thinks of me is my only treasure, then there's no risk to my life by giving back to him or serving. I no longer have excessive anxiety about my material life that I really can't control anyways. So what's the answer then? What's the number? Is it 10%? Is it 20%? Is it 100%? The reality is that God wants all of me. He loves me too much to allow the false God of money to rule my life. In my life, it's a merciful act of God's grace to allow me to give to him. It requires me to be humble and realize the limits of my knowledge and control. And at the same time, I also see that what I do matters to God. False gods demand that I serve them and eventually will demand that you die for them. But Jesus is God incarnate who came to live a life of service and die and rise again for me. He still chooses to use me, to use us, to accomplish his will. So I don't know the answer for you, and often, often I have a difficult time trying to find the answer for myself. But I can tell you that when I've found that when God's word is preached and the subject matter makes me uncomfortable, it's usually a red flag that there's something deeper in my life that needs to be addressed. I think we need, and I need, to acknowledge the primacy of Christ over all things in our life, and we have to depend on Christ to be the source of all things and recognize that he is. We should make a plan for giving and then learn to live a life rich in generosity like the Apostle Paul talks about. If I believe that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then nothing this world can offer, including my money, is of any importance in comparison. Grace will make us generous. The acronym that I always heard growing up was God's riches at Christ's expense. So remember that we make it, that everything that we make treasure other than Jesus will ultimately enslave us. When we judge our value by things of this world, then those things that we use to judge our value will control our life. We will sacrifice and do anything to get them because without them, if that's where our value is, we feel we have no worth and we certainly aren't treasured. Thank God there's freedom in realizing that Jesus Christ is the only and ultimate treasure that died to purchase me and you. When I see that Jesus made me his treasure and that he was willing to die for me, it should melt my heart and make Jesus the ultimate treasure of my heart. Then my money and I will be free to follow Jesus to accomplish his work for his kingdom. So do I want to be a lukewarm follower of Jesus that's scared of giving him control that I really don't even have? Or do I prefer a savior who has ultimate control over creation itself? Do I think that I need to live a good life and give generously and then God loves me and rewards me? Or do I think that, or do I realize, I should say, how much God loves me and therefore I become generous with my life and money? Do I want to give everything out of unending thankfulness for what my Savior has done for me? Is God calling me and you to start trusting him and throw off the shackles of worldly measures of success and step out into radical generosity? When you hear those numbers in the millions of dollars, that's a lot of money, for, you know, especially for a small rural church. But you look in the parking lot, you look at your home. We find money to pay for cars, trucks, and SUVs. We pay hundreds of dollars a month for smartphones, cable, internet, streaming services, and gym memberships. So where is my treasure? Giving is worship. Do I want to worship? What do I want to worship, and whose kingdom do I want to build? My kingdom or the Lord's, the creator of the universe? And this morning, I was doing my devotion before coming in, and, and uh, it's from a uh, devotion from Paul David Tripp, and it just kind of seemed like it was perfect for the day. But 
He says, what do you want for your life? What are you really living for? If you could have the good life, what would it look like? If we were to say, if only I had A, B, or C, then my life would be great, how would you fill in the blanks? Could it be that even though that you're God's child, you still think your life is belonging to you? When you think of your life this way, the ministry is about stepping out of your life and giving God just a little bit of your time, energy, and money, and then you step back into your life. In this way of thinking, ministry is something separate from your daily life. It tends to be structured and scheduled by the leaders of your church, and you support it for a while with your own efforts, but behind this view of ministry is the thought that your life still belongs to you, and you give moments of it to the Lord. This view is radically different from what Jesus is calling us for. He demands our whole life. Our life is to be ministry. So I thought of Joshua and when he talks about choose you this day who you will serve it. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And is that really what we're doing? Are we singing these songs while we're in here and then we walk out and we're different people when we take our own life back? I think it's a great challenge to me and a great challenge to all of us to find our priorities and see where our treasure really lies. So thank you. Thanks. Nice job. The speaking thing isn't always easy, is it? You did a good job. Thank you, John. Yeah. If you're here as a visitor, this is your first time, you might wonder what in the world you just walked into. You did not enter the twilight zone. Uh, You walked into a congregation that loves this place, loves what it is that God is doing in us and with us and through us, and loves the community around us and the people in it. And we consider it a privilege to be able to pour our lives and our time and our volunteer hours and our financial resources into reaching those people. Today is a day that I hope you remember for a very long time. I was looking back in First Chronicles 28 and 29, and David is talking to the people about coming together and having this big celebration about raising money to build a temple. And he said, it isn't even going to be me that builds it, but there's this enthusiasm, there's this excitement about being able to be a part of something that's so much bigger than us. And so to Today, we're going to ask you to commit. If, if this is your church home, even if it's not, if you're here as a visitor and you say, I want to be a part of what you guys are doing, if you're online, I'm talking to you every bit as much as the folks that are here. We're going to ask you to make a, a written commitment to your part of the work that God is doing in this place. And so I realize for some of you, that's going to be the first time ever that you have actually committed in writing to give money to a church. To promise to financially support a church. For others, you've done this before and and this isn't the first time you've been a part of a capital campaign. Maybe you've been very generous in the past. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to make a commitment between you and God through this place to make the largest ministry gift, the largest commitment you've ever given to ministry. But my hope is, more than anything, that every single one of us fills out one of these commitment cards and that we get on the bus And that we commit something to be a part of what it is that God is doing here. Today is this day to to make a prayerful, intentional commitment of what God is doing at the Open Door Christian Church. For most of us, it might be a move from giving spare change giving to convenience giving to maybe even what we think is generosity giving to what John talked about, sacrificial. It hurts a little bit, but I know God's got me covered because I love my church giving. 
But that number's up to you. That, that really is something you've got to figure out. So before we get to the fun stuff, and giving money to God and to God's work is always fun stuff, let me take back a little bit to how we got here. And I know I've told some of you this before, but we're going to do it one more time. The Open Door Christian Church began 11 years ago with seven people in a coffee shop. Seven people that had faith, a clear vision, and spent a whole lot of time praying about what it was that God was asking us to do. And, and so we took off, and, and it became this this mission that we were clear about, and it began to become a ministry among the people. And now here we are 11 years later, and there's this incredible movement of God that is reaching the communities around us, but also is reaching all over the globe. And one of the things that's really different that sets this place apart from any church that I've ever been a part of is that the elders in this place, the leaders in this church, and this extends to the staff, we don't make decisions on the money that we do or don't have. We make decisions based on what it is that God is calling us to. And so from the very beginning, it isn't that we said yes when we had the money in hand. If we said yes, it's because we prayerfully knew that's what God was calling us to. And if God was calling us to it, God would provide the ability to carry it out. And so the first time that we were challenged to trust in God happened very early on. Seven of us in the coffee shop, we had set a start date for the church. We were going to worship in the little church on the pond. We went and took a look at their sound system, and we realized it was a PA system, and it crackled, and there's no way that we could run instruments through it. So we got together and said, what are we going to do? And we set Datery off on the task of figuring out what we needed. And she came back and said, you need two microphones, cables, music stands, Mike stands and the soundboard. We can get all that for 800 bucks. We said, awesome, let's do it. Who's going to pay for it? So we prayed about it, and we knew that if we were going to have church, we had to be able to do that. And so we agreed. We called a place in the cities, and she lined it up, and they gave us a little break because we were a church. We didn't even have a checking account at this point. We said, well, we'll put it on our credit card, and we went and got it. We brought it back and started figuring out how to use it, and the next week we got to our Wednesday night Bible study in the coffee shop. And the lady came for the first time. She came in from Painsville. As she walked in, she just set this envelope in front of me, and she went and got her seat. And she said, God told me you'd know what to do with this. And I opened it up, and guess what it was? A check for $800. God had us fueled on our faith, and we were moving forward. So we spent a year in that church and we realized that we needed more space because God was blessing us with what matters most to him, which isn't finances, what matters most to God, what matters most in the Bible to him, blessing his people. And God is blessing us with people. And we realized we needed more space and we started looking around. We couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything. Finally had a conversation with the woman that owned what is now our North 40 building. And I came to the congregation and I said, if this is what you want to do, if we want to move forward, we're going to need to come up with $54,000 in three weeks in order to close. And so in two weeks, we raised $80,000. And we closed and we bought North 40, which was our first building. While we were there... Uh, there was an older couple that had found us. They were from the Painesville area as well. And she had been a superintendent of a Sunday school program for 21 years. She absolutely loved children. That was where her ministry went. She passed away. So we did her funeral. And uh, it was at the very same time that our Sunday school program was growing. And the leader of it had come to us as elders and said, I think it's time that we bought curriculum. I can't just keep downloading stuff off the Internet. We need to be more, more uh, direct and more, um, more specific about what we're doing. Okay, well, what's that going to cost? And so I said, you just go figure out what we need and give us a number. She came back and she said, it's going to cost $1,000. <laughs> okay, but if that's what we need, so we prayed about it and said, all right, we'll go ahead and do it. So on the day that the ministry team was meeting, talking about this new curriculum, and 
They didn't have to figure out how we were going to pay for it because the elders had already said that we would do it. This man came in with this thick envelope from the memorials from his wife's funeral. And guess what was in it? If you said $1,000, you're wrong. It was 1013 I thought, that's really weird. That doesn't make sense. God doesn't make those mistakes. We found out shipping and handling. It was nine ninety nine ninety nine for the software and the, the curriculum for Sunday school, and it was 13 bucks for shipping and handling. Once again, God was pushing us forward in faith. A couple of years passed, and we went to the congregation and said, we found a place. We went to the cities, and we talked to the Methodist church people because we've been told it would take about $3.5 to build the size building that we needed and buy the land and make it all ready. Went and talked to the Methodist church and said, what about part of the north part of your property at Decision Hills? And they said, tell us your vision. We've got two other buyers. They're ready to write us a check. Tell us about your vision. So we talked about our history. We talked about our vision, our call, what God had, had put on our hearts to do. And one of the guys from their team said, you don't have a 10-acre vision, folks. You've got a 70-acre vision. We want to make it happen. And so they laid out a plan for the first parcel was going to be a million dollars. The second surrounding acres was going to be a million and a half. They gave us terms we would have never dreamt of asking for. And so the first part of this capital campaign is to pay off that second million and a half. And they said, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to close on Tuesday. This was the Thursday. They said, we're going to have to close on Tuesday because those other guys want an answer. And so we said, great, let's do it. So we had zero dollars saved. We hadn't raised a thing. Went to the congregation on Sunday morning and I said, so we went and talked to the people at Decision Hills and uh, they're willing to sell us their whole property and here's the terms, but we need a $100,000 down payment on Tuesday. And of course, the first question I got was, how much do we have? I said, we haven't raised anything. So if you want to take a look at it, come on out to the property with me. And so about 30 people came out here and we talked about it. We walked around and we had vision because there was eight foot grass and eight foot sumac and it didn't look like it would ever be a church. And we walked to the closing on Tuesday, two days later, with $184,000. Stepping forward in faith, because when you listen to what God is calling you to, God is always going to provide whatever you need. But God always provides it through us. It isn't like some business out there decided that we needed to be a church at Decision Hills. The people who went here decided that we needed to be a church at Decision Hills, because that's what God has called us to. And so I tell you this to realize this isn't the first time that we've said, if you want this to happen, then we need to raise some money. And it's also to tell you that we have a track record of stepping out in faith, and God has a long history of showing up in a big way. And that brings us to today. It brings us to our response, your response to the future that God has placed before us, that God has prepared us for. But, but there's one more part of the story that I know that we need to talk about because people have asked me. And I don't really like to talk about me very much. I'd much rather talk about God and what God is doing among us. But people have asked, what about you? What's your plan? How long are you going to be in ministry? How long are you going to stay? You must be able to go somewhere else if you really wanted to. So how do we know that you're not going to ask us to give this money and then to, to take off? And that's not the plan. That's not at all what's going to go on. See here, 11 years ago, Daedri, I went to her when I had been asked to, to be the pastor of this small church, and I explained it to her. Her answer very quickly was no. But she realized that it was my heart and it was our dream, and, and there's nobody that has gotten on board faster who's been the first in line to get done whatever needs to get done than Daedri has, because, see, we're committed to this place. We're committed to this area. We're committed to this church. So there's nothing that happens without vision and prayer, and that's what's led this place for 11 years. Not just our vision, our prayer, but God's vision and the prayers of a lot of people. So she's been on board from the beginning, 
even though it's a small town and she's a big city girl, even though it's cold weather half the year and she likes it where it's warm. She's on board 100%. I'm here in the town that I grew up in. And I choose to be here and she chooses to be here with me because these are the people that raised me. This is the town that I grew up in and I can't imagine any greater privilege in life than to giving my best working years back to the people that raised me up. I'm blessed to have two healthy Young at heart, loving and supportive parents that live in this town. And also choose to call this place their home. You see, I love it here because who you are matters. The life that we live matters. The kind of people that we are makes a difference. The way we treat people, it all matters. It matters to God and it matters to people. And yes, in all fairness, I have had offers to leave. 17 of them in 11 years, in fact. 17 offers to take over as a senior pastor of larger churches that are already well on their way, that have big budgets and lots of money, and it would be all kinds of wonderful things. And all of them are two or three or even more times getting uh, being paid what I get paid here. And my answer to every one of them has been, thank you very much. I appreciate being called, but no, I haven't finished what God's called me to here. I'm committed to this place. Every single time I have said no, and every single time I have felt good about it, and you need to know that. I'm here because I choose to be here. I'm also halfway through uh, a doctoral program at Bethel University uh, in transformational leadership. If everything goes well in two years, I will have my doctorate in transformational leadership. Not because it's something I need, because it's something that we need as a church. There's just not a lot of books and a lot of people that understand what God is doing in this place. And so I realized the best thing that I could do to serve you and this church is to go get the best education that I can. And so to get a doctorate for me, yeah, people said, so do you plan to go pre- uh, teach at a seminary or do you plan to go teach at a university? No, I plan to lead the church that God called me to serve. And so if things go well in two years, I will have my doctorate, which will put me in even a better position to have many years of meaningful and productive ministry here at the Open Door Christian Church. I'm here because I choose to be here and I love this opportunity. So now we get to you and your part. What's going to be your part of the story? What's going to be your part of the history of this place? Last Tuesday night, I gathered with our elders and our staff and and some ministry leaders in our church, and I challenged them to do an early commitment night, to do on Tuesday night, to do what we're asking all of you to be a part of this morning, to put numbers down on paper and say, here's what we're going to commit over the next three years, above and beyond our regular giving, above and beyond what we already give to this church, to the work that God is doing here. And so what is it for? Well, we've got to pay off that one and a half million we've got to, that we owe the Methodist Church. We've got to build space for our youngest people. We have no preschool and nursery. We've got to build space to bring all of our kids onto the same site because right now we've got parents running to two different places four miles apart. And ultimately, we want to build spaces and places where we can gather the entire community. We can invite them to come to be a part of this beautiful place so that we can share the good news of Jesus with them all week long. And so what happened on Tuesday night was 22 households filled out commitment cards. And you're going to get one of these in a little bit. 22 households, just 22 households committed one of those. I filled them out. And what happened when the night was over was John was talking about a multi-million dollar project. If we're able to do everything all at once, it's going to cost us about $7 million. Those 22 households committed in writing to 926600 And forty dollars. Twenty two households, almost a million. You know why? Because they've been changed. 
because they met Jesus in a very real way in this place. And they're willing to do what John talked about, was to say, maybe I've got to scrimp, maybe we've got to save, maybe we've got to give up, but we want to see God's work here continue. $926,640 from 22 of your households. That's something you can cheer about. Yeah. Does that mean that we're done? No, we've got a long way to go. And today is the day that we're inviting you to be a part of it. Do you realize there are some churches, like you said, we're a small church in rural Minnesota. There are some churches where that number is just astronomical, would blow their minds. But we know that it's only the beginning of what God is doing here. The beginning of what God is inviting us to be a part of. So you're all given this full-size piece of paper when you walked in. If you want to pull that out, I'm just going to explain to you what it is really quickly. There's three statements on the top of it. They're what this campaign is all about. We want to pay off the remaining $1.5 million contract to the Minnesota Methodist Church Camp Ministry. You hear me say almost a million dollars was raised. That's awesome. Next September, we need to write them a check for $1.5 million or we start paying interest. And so that million dollars that we raised on Tuesday is great, but if it comes in over three years, we've got still $1.2 million that we have to pay off before we even get started with buildings. We want to initiate strategic facility enhancements to make the current campus an effective place for people to come and meet Jesus and utilize new facilities to create new opportunities for the love of God to reach others near and far through the ministries of the Open Door Christian Church. So there's an outline of giving on this thing. And I realize not all of you are $1 million givers, but some of you are. There may be our people out there that are 1.5 million. So I'm just going to pay off all that land and let's get to the business of building buildings so that we can start meeting new people. Some of you are $3,000 givers. Some of you maybe aren't even that. Here's the point. There's a number on there. There's a number out there that's the number that's right for you. There's a comfortable number, but then there's a God number. And what we're inviting you to do is to make the decision for yourself between you and God. What is that number? To trust God as you reach out in the faith, in faith the way we as a congregation have reached out and lived in faith for 11 years. And if there's a difference between the number you're comfortable with and the number you feel God is, is leading you to, that's the difference between giving and sacrificial giving. That's the difference between giving what's easy and giving in a way that God pushes us to give in a way that is significant and meaningful that puts him first. See, if we're going to be successful in this, it's only going to happen because everybody gets on the bus that everybody does it together. The number doesn't matter nearly as much as that everybody's on board because too many times I've seen churches that build some beautiful new building. That's not our plan. We're kind of a a shed building kind of church. That's what we're going to keep on doing because they work and they're functional and they're financially wise. But you know what? What's most important is that everybody gets on board, that everybody does something so that we're not saying that's their church. We're all able to say this is our church. And if you're watching us online and you consider us your church home, even though maybe you've never been to this building, the the card that we're going to look at here in a moment, and I'll ask you folks to hand those out, the commitment cards, those cards are available at our website, www.theopendoorcc.com. So let's walk through the cards. Does everybody have one? Have we handed those out yet? Where are we? Are we don't have them? Let's hand, what's that? Hand them out now. If you've got one of these cards and you are what Pastor Patrick asked to do that, please do that. So we're going to walk through those cards. On the back of it, we realize there's two kinds of givers. There's some people that give based on assets or investments or maybe a land sale or something like that. That's awesome. If that's you, uh, Deidre is a financial planner. She's an awesome one. She's a rock star financial planner. Call the office. She can help you with all those transactions and all of those uh, financial moves. 
For the rest of us, we're budget givers, and we got to think about how are we going to do this in addition to giving every Sunday. The back of this breaks down from $1,000 to $100,000, what that amounts to per month. And so if that's the way you give, I would encourage you to take a look at that and see where it is that you fall. On the front side of it, it's very simple information. It's how it is that we can get a hold of you. These next two numbers, these two boxes are really important, and this is on the online one as well. One says total gift, one says first gift. The total gift is the total amount that you want to commit to over the next three years. The first gift, that's a super important one. That's what happens next Sunday. I'm going to ask and encourage all of you to come back next week and bring your first gift, whether you pledge monthly or weekly or annually. That first gift is so important because what we don't want is to make a commitment, say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm on board. I'm up for 20 bucks a month for the next three years. But you miss the first Sunday because something happens. You miss the second Sunday and you go on behind. Forget about it. First gift Sunday is so important. You get to choose how it is that you're going to make that gift because as we move forward, we want to be good stewards of this money and we want to make sure that we don't outspend the giving. And so we want to know how it is that's coming in. There's other ways to give that are listed on the bottom of that. What's most important is that everybody has a part in this. There are some people that are going to be big dollar givers, and and those matter. Those people are important. But you know what? Every bit as important as the people that are the smaller dollar givers because the difference is everybody being on the bus, everybody being a part of this. This is our church. It isn't somebody else's church. So there's that bus out there. We had some fun with it this week. Don, you want to play the video and explain why that bus is a part of the morning? Hey everybody, this is Pastor Steve, and I am so excited. This is our capital campaign. This is a time that we're stepping into tomorrow, the future that God has prepared for us and prepared us for. And we want to invite you to get onto the bus with all of us. It's an opportunity to be a part of the mission, the ministry, and the movement that God is doing through the Open Door Christian Church. And we want you to be a part of it. So would you join us, please? Let's all get on the bus. Brian was not hurt in the filming of that video, right, Brian? 
Just a little bit hurt in the film. Did it take like four takes to get that? And maybe at least he volunteered, actually. Thank you, Brian. Part of why that's important is we know that over the next three years, there are going to be people who come into our church and and it's going to be folks that are coming. They're a little bit behind, but they want to get on the bus. We want to get them on the bus. So I really do want to challenge you to prayerfully, prayerfully consider making the largest gift you've ever made to ministry. That's what Deidre and I have done. We spent two weeks talking and praying about this. I'd encourage you to make the largest gift you've ever made because you know what? We have a history here of stepping out in faith and of God showing up and being able to do awesome ministry. It's why we started as a mission. We became a ministry and now we're a movement that God has created and is going forward here at the open door. Uh, What I'm going to invite you to do is from back in the old days, we had cream cans and that's where we accepted all of our offerings. When you fill out this card, and again, I'm going to encourage all of you to do that. When you fill it out, fold it in half. We're going to have two more worship songs. Come forward. If you're here with a spouse, with family, uh, whoever from your house is here, come forward and just put it in those cans. And we're going to collect them here. That's the way we started years ago, collecting our gifts and tithes and offerings. And we just thought it would be appropriate to do that now. So we're going to have two songs. We're going to sing as you're ready, as your card is filled out. Please bring them forward and put them in the cream cans. Let's continue to worship. So I got kind of choked up in the message. That caught me off guard. And I realized what was happening. When we first started 11 years ago, it cost us, remember this, to have 100 bucks a week to rent that space. We had no idea where the $100 was going to come from. And somebody told me early on that if your church grows, if you're successful, the only thing that changes from when you're small is that as you get bigger, you, you try to keep it as simple as you were, and the problems grow by zeros. But I'm realizing a million dollars isn't a million dollars of problems. It's a million dollars of faithfulness. And that is awesome. And that just, that really hit me. There's another thing you need to realize. Folks that you are watching online, I want to say thank you. Everybody here, you're going to have to make some noise. I just got to notice that six people have already filled out that form and given online today. So yeah, we all clap for all of you. Thank you. That is so cool. Thank you to our online church family as well. Next Sunday is going to be really important. It's going to be First Fruit Sunday. It's a time that whether you're online or whether you're live, that we get the chance to bring our first gift. And that makes all the difference in the world because once we start something, we got a really good chance we're going to finish and see it through. And this is just one of those things that you've made a commitment today and we want to see it through. Maybe today wasn't your day. Maybe you need to think about this, pray about it. We are going to continue to have those cream cans at the door. If next Sunday or the Sunday after is when you're ready to fill out one of those cards, we're going to have them available. And this is a three-year bus ride, folks. We're going to be talking about it for three years.